weren't here last week, let me just set uh, the context of what I want to say this week. Um, uh, last week I began by introducing one of the key factors that we are, are working towards this year as a church family. Those of you here may remember that I was speaking on story and the importance of our story and being able to tell our story that other people might know the story of God at work in our lives. And I was presenting the, the thing that actually um, uh, evangelism or um, uh, reaching out to others isn't all about just coming out and um, uh, answering questions that people have but it's more about telling people how great God is. And uh, the message that we can get out there is the message of how great God is. Um, let me just give you a little illustration from the Bible. Um, the, um, uh, uh, you know the people of God uh, were trapped in Egypt, in slavery in Egypt. And uh, God sent Moses to free them. You remember that? And Moses came and, and, and set them free and they came out of Egypt and they, they should have had a little wander over to the promised land but they, they took a, a detour that lasted 40 years through the desert and uh, that detour was all about a place where they were trying to learn what it meant to be a people who followed God. Finally they get to the place where they step into the promised land and Moses now dies and Joshua stands up and the book of Joshua is a, an amazing book where it tells of the story of the people of God being looked after by God in a way that they probably never experienced before and it's an incredible book of the blessing of God. And then at the end of Joshua we move into Judges and judges so here's the people of God they've gone from a really low point crying out to God in slavery in Egypt God's lifted them out they've gone on a bit of a detour but lifted them out now and they're now in the promised land they're in the land where where everything seems to be going well for them and and their barns are full and their cattle are well fed and their crops are, are, are healthy and everything's going well for them and in that time of plenty, under Joshua's leadership, they remember the ways and the words of God. But when Joshua dies, things start going wrong again. And it says this in Judges. This is the beginning of Judges. So Judges, they've gone from this high point in Joshua, and it's almost as though they fall off a cliff edge. With no leadership, they forget what it means to be a people who live under God's management, God's rule and reign. And it says this, after that generation died, so this is Joshua's generation, after that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. So they've lived in this incredibly fruitful time. And then it's almost as though they fall off the edge of a cliff. And we read the story through the book of Judges as one of the low points in Israel's history. And therefore the importance of continuing to tell our story. The importance of remembering to let people know the story of God at work in their lives. So that was last week and then on Tuesday night we had our vision night. 
And we thought about the six key things that we're working toward this year. Number one was outreach, how we communicate out to others. Secondly, prayer, and you've heard about that in the notices as we're developing both a corporate prayer life as a church and an individual prayer life. Thirdly, discipleship, um, as we mature in our faith in Christ. Fourthly, mentoring an opportunity to mentor or be mentored in the life of St. Paul's. That's a a terrific gift, you know. Uh, Mentoring someone else changes the mentor as well as being mentored changes you i have the opportunity to mentor um, a group of church leaders i i i mentor i remember how many there are now but there's probably about 10 different church leaders that i mentor and um uh, every time i go and see them and, and we we pray and we talk and i listen and we reflect and i get in the car afterwards or they leave my house whichever way around i might be and i think Gosh, that was so helpful. <laughs> I've learned so much just by being able to process stuff uh, with them. Mentoring such a great thing. And then story, fifthly, that we thought about last week, and then community. The six things that we want to focus on this year. And I said on Tuesday, one of the worst mistakes an individual, an organization, or a community can make is to sit still. It's to rest on its laurels. It's to say... We're okay. Too many times, communities seeking to protect what they have not only lose what they have, but they lose what they might have had as well. One one of the things that I love is that, and I try to say this each time I do a welcome supper, but um, anytime anybody joins St. Paul's as a church family, I think we reshape to embrace them and their passions and their lifestyle and their community, what they bring. And that's really helpful for us. And every time someone comes, we just extend our border a little bit more. We extend it a little bit more. And, and the gifts that they bring, they, you, you come and you help shape us and we learn from you and you learn from us. And, and together the, the family of God that's here becomes more creative, more, more multiracial, more diverse reflecting something of the diverse nature of our Heavenly Father. But today I want to think a little bit more about outreach, and I want to think about it in the context of Luke chapter 15. So if you've got a Bible, turn there. Some chocolates here. I'll pass those over to the young people, because they'll eat all of those. Uh, Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 is um, a story, uh, a a collection of stories, as you know, It's been called God's lost and found department. And there are four things in there, four illustrations dealing with things that have been lost and found. And uh, it's just 32 short verses. Verses 3 to 7, we have the illustration of the lost sheep. And um, uh, I love that story. I'm going to look at that again in a minute. And then at verses 8 to 10, we have the lost silver coin. And then verses 11 to 24, we have the lost son. And then as we come into land in verses 25 to 32, we have the lost sibling. The older brother in that story. And uh, these uh, parables, these heavenly stories with earthly meanings, that the context, the backdrop for this is found in the first couple of verses let me read it to you tax collectors and other notorious sinners 
often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. That's terrible, isn't it? He was even eating with them. Because when you eat with somebody, it's like that's, that's quite intimate, isn't it? Eating with other students, they love to eat, won't they? They love to eat. We all love to eat. McDonald's. That's not eating, really, is it? That's, that's not real food, is it? That's not real food. That's just um, filler. But, it, the, the, but you, you, it, to eat together, to eat together creates community. Actually, it's over eating together that we, we talk and we share the things of life. It's over eating together that we, we find new depths in relationship with one another. It's in that place. Because you can't often do that unless you're doing something. One of the reasons, you know, one of the reasons that we normally hand around chocolates here before anybody gets up to speak, but we hand them around in the time when you get to say hello to one another. One of the reasons for doing that is because you talk. Would you like a chocolate? I mean, it's just start something. You like the nutty ones. Oh, I don't like those. You know, whatever it might be. You start something. Because conversation is really important. Don't forget, Richard Turner, you're doing a weigh-in tomorrow. I've seen you go through so many of those. I'm watching here. I'm watching. i to edit that from the uh, recording. So, 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 this is the context. The context, the publicans, he's eating with the publicans. The publicans were, were also tax collectors. Uh, they worked for the Roman government and they were despised by the Jews because they were friendly with the enemy and they placed on the people harsh and unfair tax burdens. Jesus was eating with these people. He was gathering them around him. What a wonderful thing. And, and then it says, that, then, then it says that, and also sinners. Now the Pharisees would have said the sinners, they were the Jews who didn't keep the Mosaic law. And they were looked down on by others. But it was these people, the people that actually, the religious community, as we get it from the Bible, as it's described to us, they're the people that, that the religious community didn't really care about because they weren't pure and holy like us. They, weren't, they, they didn't have it all sorted. I don't, I don't know about you. Have you got it all sorted? <laughs> I don't think I've got it all sorted. Anybody got it all sorted? No, no, I don't think so. The truth is, none of us have got it all sorted. So the Pharisees, they wouldn't have had it all sorted. I mean, I think we try to get it all sorted, don't we? But in reality, it takes quite a lot to get it all sorted. So, so, so they're saying, you can't join us because we're the, we're the holy group. Well, actually, that's hypocritical in itself. Because they wouldn't have been perfect. Because there is nobody who's perfect except Jesus himself. So, so they're hypocritical in the way they're doing this. But, but Jesus is saying, no, I've, I've, come, I've come for these. Um, uh, Luke uh, 19 verse 10. He says this. For the Son of Man came, came to seek and save those who were lost. And uh, Mark's Gospel chapter 2 verse 17. He says this. When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those 
who know they are sinners. That's a great verse, isn't it? I've not come to call those who think they're righteous because they don't think they've got any need of me. I've come to call those who know they are sinners. I've not met many people who think they are righteous. Who think they've got it all sorted. Who think everything's in the bag. But this is the community that Jesus was speaking into. And I love the fact that he was eating with them. Our social networks are so important. Um, uh, uh, So these people have been shunned by the religious community and Jesus mixed with them. And in answering their criticism of them, he tells them a story. He says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? He's got a hundred, one gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? Well, you'd think, no. No, he'd protect the 99. He said, I've got 99. I did have 100, but I've got 99 is better than none. I'll look after the 99. We won't worry about the one. We'll just consider that wastage. You know, we won't worry about that. But he says, no, that's not what he did. He left the 99, it says. He left the 99 and he went in the wilderness to go search for the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he found it, he would joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. In the same way, verse 7, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? It's a wonderful thing when you've lost something and you find it. Now, uh, forgive me for using an illustration of uh, many years ago now, but when, when we just had one, my wife and I just had one child and we were shopping and we're just like, we're just like learning how to be parents, you know. And we're shopping and we're just like looking around and suddenly go, where is she? And you think, well, we've lost her. We don't know where she is. And I, 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 we probably spent 15 minutes looking for her. I mean, she's 24 now, married, a bit older, but we were searching all over the place. After about 15 minutes, she jumped out from in between a whole row of dresses and went, boo. And she'd been hiding from us. Now, part of you wants to go, you stupid girl. (laughs) Don't you realise what concern you've caused? But everything in you scoops her up in relief because you found that that you thought you had lost. And, and Jesus says it's the same. It's the same in the kingdom of heaven. When something is lost and it is found again, there is great rejoicing. There is great rejoicing. And then he goes on and he tells a story of the coins. He says, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbours and say rejoice with me because I found my lost coin in the same way there's joy in the presence of God's angels even when one sinner repents why, why is there such rejoicing over this when well, he talks about the precious nature of each and every one just the top one coin the preciousness of each and every one the sheep will go searching for the sheep. We'll leave everybody else, we'll go searching. We'll search. The spirit is at work with the one. I, when, you, when you go out, I, I love that. I love what's going on with the students. Because, because when you go out and search, you often find people 
who are saying, I'm looking. I'm trying to find my way, but I can't find it. You go, well, come with me. I'll show you the way. That's what we're to do. We're to go out and search, and each one showed them the way. And, and in so doing, each one is so precious. Like one of these coins, so precious in the hands of Jesus. Come, and God will tell you how precious you are. And then we have the parable of the prodigal son. That plural parable, because there are two sons. One is the lost son. And uh, uh, you know the context there, the, the, the story of that um, lost son who, who runs off. And, and uh, I guess at this point the Pharisees are, are mad at Jesus because he's, he's bringing in these tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and he's saying this is okay. It's, it's okay to find people who are broken and restore them. And, and he says of the first son, he says, he says he was okay in his father's home. He was secure, but he went and got lost as well. And, and, and in the end, he came to his senses and he said, what am I doing sitting in pig's will? What am I doing sharing food with the, with the pigs? My father's servants have plenty to eat. I'll go home. I'll go home and say, Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just employ me as a servant. Forgive me for what I've done. And, and the father sees him coming. I love that. I love that, that the father was looking for him. He was on the lookout, hoping he would return, hoping he would come back. Now, anybody here who's got a parent whose children have reached a certain age and become nocturnal, you will know that feeling, you know, when you're waiting for the front door to go and you think, oh, they're in, safe. That's your first thought. And then your second thought is, why are they still up at this time? Night time really is for sleeping. But that, that, whole, that whole thing, of that whole thing, oh, they've come home. It's a wonderful feeling, isn't it? They've come home. That's what the father feels Some, when someone returns. It's a wonderful feeling. They've come home safe. And, and then the lost sibling, the one who was angry, and I think he was speaking now directly to the Pharisees. He's saying, and do you know there was one son? There was one son who stayed behind and he did all the right things. And he was just a good boy all the time. One of those irritating boys. Just a good boy the whole time. And, and, but, but he didn't have a relationship with his father. It was just a legal thing, really. I've done everything you told me to do. There was no relationship. And he says, how can you welcome back this other? How can you think of sharing what we've got with this one who's wasted it? And the father says, we've got to rejoice. We've got to rejoice because one who was lost has come home again. And he begs that sibling, the older son. He says, come and celebrate. And we're left with a question mark at the end. And I think the question mark is for the Pharisees. How are you going to respond when the likes of these that you criticize, the likes of these that I came for, the likes of these that I longed that would come back into my kingdom, how are you going to respond when we welcome them in? Are you going to say, no, we're too pure, we can't welcome them? Or are you going to say, fling wide the doors? Let's give them a warm welcome back into the family of God. He's bringing in the broken and those who don't fit into our social context. He's bringing in those who change who we are because 
They count. He's bringing in these people. And uh, so often, so many people don't like it. But I think, you see, I think following Jesus has to have its dangerous side. It will change you and it changes me. That's what it will do. It changes who we are. And I think it changes us for the better every time. It extends our understanding of people on the earth. It extends our human relationships across um, our community. It extends us to, to people who are not, you know, they're not quite like us. We all like mixing with people like us, don't we? That's what we like to do. We like to mix with people who are like, oh, they're like us. We get, so we get a natural thing. And God says, it's not just for people who are like you. You know, God forbid that the church would just be one monochrome church with one group of people, one set. It's not for that. He says, no, it's for everybody of every community, culture, background, language. Bring them all in. Bring them all in because with every single one there is a celebration in heaven when they come in through the door. It says this in uh, Isaiah 58. It's a discussion about fasting. And it says this, uh, uh, do you think this is the kind of fasting I want? This is God speaking. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. Remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. Do not hide from relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer, yes, I'm here and he will come quickly. When? When we extend out. One of the key things we're thinking about is outreach. That's what we want to think about this year. And for us, that means caring for the broken and the needy, reaching out to the struggling, picking, out those, picking up those who are down, walking with the wounded, including the excluded. I think so often, so often we, can be, we can be paralyzed. We can think, well, what can I do? There's so many needs out there, aren't there? There's so many needs around the world. What can I do? What difference does my prayer make? It makes all the difference. It makes a, you, you, th- you think, well, I'm, I'll pray for Syria today, I might forget tomorrow. No, 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 your prayers count. Your prayers count. Every prayer that counts. God wants us to be people who care for these different situations. He wants us involved in every situation because it doesn't just mean that he comes to answer that prayer. It means it changes us. Because he gives us a heart for those different communities. And I think there are things that happen daily where we can express this and we can demonstrate this to other people. Maybe, maybe you pass someone who's hungry on a regular basis. Maybe there's an elderly neighbour who needs a visit. Maybe there's a single mum who needs a sitter so that they, she might go out to meet with her friends. Maybe there's uh, an untended garden of someone who lives near you that could just do with a little bit of help. I remember many years ago now in this community going round to a lovely old gentleman whose garden had um, 
come right to his back door. I mean, it just, it just grown, and nothing had been done for years, come right to his back door. I remember going around with a group of people from the church, and, and we said, we've just come to do your garden. And he's like, well, why would you do that? I said, well, can we, should we just cut some of it back for you? He said, well, that would be lovely. All right. So we did. he thought we were really sort of nutters, I think. But we just went and cut his garden. I mean, you know, we, we took big chainsaws and things and electric head cutters and did the whole lot, you know. And all of a sudden, from where he could sit, he could look out into a garden again. And I, we, we said goodbye at the end of the day and I went around to see him about a week later to see how he was getting on. And I went in and he said, I never realised how much that would mean to me. He said, and I never realised how many houses behind me have had loft extensions since I was last able to see them. All of a sudden, it was important, all of a sudden, oh, I'm part of this community again. I can see what's going on. I feel included. That's all it means. It just, just says that we care for you, that we love for you. I love the story that um, Jim Wallace tells of the uh, homeless kitchen that they run in Washington, D.C. And uh, this lovely old lady, the last time I spoke to him, he told the story. He was saying this lovely old lady who runs it, she's about 82 or 83 years old, and she runs this homeless kitchen. And uh, each day people come and they queue to get food from it, you see. And uh, she does the same prayer at the beginning of every day. And I, I, I couldn't tell you the prayer. But she finishes with this. She finishes with this. Lord, somewhere in this line today we're going to meet you. Help us to serve you well. What a lovely way to serve the homeless. That they might be Jesus. If, you, if you're Jesus, I'm not just going to give you a meal. There you go, you're a nuisance. I'm actually going to say, here's a meal. Would you, can I do anything else? Is, is that all right? Would you like a bit more? Would you like a bit less? Oh, you don't like that bit. We'll take that off. You know, whatever it might be, but we'll do it with love because it changes everything. Mother Teresa, was, who was famous for her care of the poor and disadvantaged in Calcutta, was once asked, how can you keep serving the poor, the sick and the dying with such vigor? What's the secret? How do you do it? To which she answered, Whenever I meet someone in need, it's really Jesus I consider in his most distressing disguise. He's the child abandoned by the road. He's the beggar hoping for a meal. He's the leper whose limbs have turned to dust. It's him I help. It's him I help. No wonder she became known as the woman who loved the poor. Because really she was loving Jesus in each and every one that she stretched a hand out to. And there are so many opportunities, friends, in so many uh, ministries here and further afield. Let's not be like the Pharisees, saying let's protect what we've got. But let's embrace risk and stretch a hand out, a hand of mercy and help and love to others, that others might know the goodness of God. Let's Work for God's lost and found department. But let's be in the finding business and the including business and the joining business. And let's hand out those invitations willingly that people might know 
what it's like to be found by God, but more than that also what it's like to be found by a community of people who want to love them. There's a lovely, lovely story actually, but with one lady, um, uh, when I first came here, I've been here a little while and uh, we've been here, my wife and I have been here 20 years now, and, and um, when she was, she said to me after about five or six years, she said, um, she said, I, I don't like all this band and this loud music. And it was just before a service. I said, oh, okay. And she said, I don't like the fact that you don't wear a dog collar and robes. I said, oh, okay. And she went on about five or six different things. To each one, I was thinking, oh, okay. And I said to her in the end, I said, you, you really don't have to come. If it's that bad, you don't have to come. And this is what she said. She said, well, that's the problem. She said, I have never had so many friends in all my life since you joined. So now I can't leave. You know, the power of community. The power of community. The power, the power of loving people. And what she, lo- what she loved, what she loved was that the young people would go and talk to her, an older member of the church. And they'd say hello. And the truth is that all of us need love, whatever age we are. We all need love. And how lovely that some of the kids and some of the young adults were going up and speak to her and include her. And she said, oh, it just makes my day. I come that someone might talk to me because for the rest of the week, no one talks to me. But I come to church and all these people from the generations talk to me. So we had a little deal and we said, you can keep coming as long as you don't complain anymore. And she stuck with it and didn't complain anymore. It's a good thing. I know she still doesn't like it, but she didn't complain anymore. Mother Teresa said this, We can't all do great things, but we can all do small things with great love. We can't all do great things, but we can all do small things with great love. And it seems to me that's the currency that we should be using. Friends, last week we were thinking about our story, the story of God in our lives. Let's ensure that the story of God in our lives remains current. I don't know about you, listen to that little interview about the student ministry. I'm looking forward to hearing some stories from some of the students. Ah, this is the group we go to and this is what we do and this is what we get up to. I'm looking forward to that. That'd be great. I don't know when we'll hear it. Maybe five, six weeks, maybe 10, 12 weeks. But we'll hear some of those stories. That'd be great. And and you'll remember back to today, they were just praying that we'd start that. That's a good thing to pray for, isn't it? That the students in our community might find a place that's home, might find a community where they're loved, might find somewhere where they can find that relationship with God, which is life-changing in every way. We want, we want to make sure that our story is current. But we want to make sure that it's not just our story. That we're sharing that story outward. And we're not an inward-focused church. We're an outward-looking church. We exist, yes, to worship God. Yes, for one another. But mostly for those who've yet to discover the goodness of a great and generous God who considers them precious and wants to include them. Is that okay? Chris, you better come and help now, my friend. Come and tell us what we should do. There's an invitation. Well, why don't we just stand together? That'd be okay. I think...